This morning's scripture comes to us from the book of Acts. If you're following along in your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 17 to 23. This is God's word for us, for you this morning. Let's receive it. Acts 3, beginning in 17. This is Peter talking. He says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we... uh we give you thanks for, uh, for your word, for the power that, uh, that is given to us in it. And we pray, God, that you would meet with us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, that, that as we gather around uh, your word, that you would provide us um, wisdom beyond measure. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts, we would feel its power, then by your grace, I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when it comes to surprises, there are only two types of people, I believe. You either hate surprises, or you love surprises. There's no middle ground, there's no wishy-washy. This is the case. So, So I want you to think to yourself, who am I? This is a defining moment. Where is your identity? Hating surprises? Loving surprises? Some of you are looking at your neighbor saying, I know what you are. Uh, and and, and that's, that's an important thing to know about those that we love and those that are around us. Uh, this week was a big week in uh, the Burnham household. Uh, Samuel, my seven-year-old, uh, had his birthday. He also had his uh, gotcha day. Uh, when his adoption was completed, and he also had his birth. Uh, he also had the day that he came home to us, which is uh, coincidentally, not so coincidentally, also my wife's birthday. And so we had uh, Sam's birthday and my wife's birthday, Lauren's birthday, uh, all in the same week. And and this is a great example, because Sam loves surprises. He is a surprise person. If you give him a surprise, he lights up and he glows. Ah! Um, if 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 you surprise Lauren. Not so much. She, she's, not, she's not a woman of surprise, uh, and, which makes it hard for me because I struggle. I don't know what to do as a husband. If you, if you are a husband of a woman who does not like surprises, live with me in my pain. What do you do? Because the surprises come like, like not so, they don't land as they're supposed to. Um, but you want things to be special, but with no surprises. Uh, it's interesting because for most occasions, for Lauren, I ask her what she wants. She'll send me the link. I'll buy it, and then I'll give it to her. And she'll open it and be like, oh. And then like, like, that's the kind of surprise that is good, the surprise that is not at all a surprise. Christmas is a season where we actually have, like, 
so many that love surprises really like dig it because all the presents go underneath the tree, right? Like, and, and as the presents are underneath the tree, you search those presents and find, find which ones have your name on it. If you're this person, oh my gosh. Uh, you find the one with your name on it, and you like look at it, and you size it up, and you think and question, what is that size? And you shake it, and you listen, and you smell it. If you're a, if you're a present smeller, you're a unique animal. And, uh, and, and, and here's how you know if, 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 if we think you love surprises, you probably have the itty-bitty present in like the big, big box because we want that surprise to be maintained all the way to the end because it brings you such, such intense joy. Are you someone that hates surprises or loves surprises? We as Christians oftentimes fail because we act as though Christmas is a surprise. Like, like we, not, not, not today, not, not, not the 25th of December that's coming up as a surprise, but we act as though the original Christmas, when Jesus was born, was a surprise. As though no one knew, as though, as though it was from left field, as though, as though everybody was shocked and amazed at, at what was happen, happening in such a way as to point towards it was not expected to ever Come. We think as though Matthew 1.1 was the beginning of it all. We, we sit in the New Testament and love the New Testament and it's glorious. And we would rather like start with the Gospels and end like, like around like uh, Ephesians or Galatians. Uh, um, and, and definitely don't get all the way to, to Revelation because that's like super scary. Uh, or not, we've been learning in Bible study. So what do we do whenever... We've been pretending as though it were a surprise and missing the boat along the way. Because what, what is it that we miss? We miss the truth of the gospel that, that this is not a surprise at all, that God had been pointing to this occasion for centuries. In Acts chapter 3, what we just read, it pointed to the fact that, that, that Jesus, was, was, was spoken about, was referred to all the way back in the prophets. Some, some translations re- refer to that all the way back to the beginning, to Samuel. And, and all the way through the prophets, so that when we arrive at Christmas, we arrive at something that all of us should be expecting. And what we see in that is that God promises, and he's faithful to fulfill the promise. He does not leave his promises unsatisfied. And so we're going to study this together. We're going to study many of the promises that are fulfilled at Christmas. Prophecies that are about Palm Sunday or or about Good Friday or about Easter Sunday, those are there as well. But just the promises that, that we see fulfilled at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, at Jesus's arrival in the birth in Bethlehem. Okay? So if you have your Bibles with me, I invite you to open them because we're going to like dig for a little while. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, I'm sorry. I, I hope that you bring your Bibles next week. I encourage like Bible bringing. Bible bringing is a good habit. I'd love to see all of you come with your Bibles in your hand. Um, and as we go, if you do, if you have a pen, uh, then you might want to use it. If you don't have a pen, you can grab one from the chair in front of you. And I, I'd love for you to point these references. So when you come back to these prophetic words, you, you could see how it ties to the New Testament. And the Bible is one beautiful story of God's love and healing power for all of creation. So the first of these comes to us in 2 Samuel. Remember, Acts spoke of Samuel. So that's a good place to start, right? We're going to be in Acts. Uh, we're going to be in, excuse me, we're going to be in uh, 2 Samuel 
chapter 7, verse 16. I have five of these, so, uh, so we're going to walk through them together. The first, 2 Samuel 7, 16. And, and so God is speaking uh, through the prophet Samuel to David. And here's what he says. He says, your house, David, and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. Now that's a huge, magnificent, bold statement. One that, 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 that is mind-boggling, in fact, because anybody that knows history knows that kingdoms will rise and fall. Though the, the, the lines of the throne will rise and will fall. Nations uh, uh, enter into seasons of exile. In fact, the nation of Israel enters into a season of exile. So what are we to do with that? Does, did God's promise fail? Or was God's promise fulfilled in a way that, that, that we should have been anticipating and we see the, uh, that, that, that anticipation should be pointing to the Messiah and Jesus? Actually, it's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Chapter 1 of Matthew, and so like in your margin in 2 Samuel, you could write Matthew 1, 17. You see how we're doing it? All right, so um, Matthew chapter 1, none of us like to read it because it's a genealogy. And no one likes to read the genealogies of uh, the Old or the New Testament because there's names that we can't pronounce. And so we just like start skipping over it and we're like, uh, and B was the father of O and O the, the, the father of R and J and because we can't read any of it. But, but Matthew chapter 1 is there for a reason. It's there because it points to the promise that's fulfilled from 2 Samuel 7. It's satisfied in this way. Here's what it says. Uh, it's in verse 17, after all the genealogies recorded, it says, And thus, Matthew says, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile uh, in Babylon, and then 14 from exile to the birth of Jesus Christ. This is the birth story of Matthew. And it's written in this way so that we understand how significant it is that, that his birth was foretold all the way back in Samuel. And that because he is born, now there is an eternal throne, an eternal line that goes from Christ back through David. God said, David, you'll have an eternal throne. And he satisfied and fulfilled that promise in Jesus the second, the second is this. Uh, we're going to now turn to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah a couple of times now uh, because Isaiah is filled with, uh, with messianic prophecy pointing to Jesus. We're Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going we're gonna to hear uh, about the nature of a very specific context of uh, this birth of Christ that was pointed to, and it comes in verse 14, chapter 7, verse 14. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you uh, the people about a sign. There will be a virgin who will be with child. Totally illogical, makes no sense at all. And that virgin will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is the time of healing. This is the time of restoration. This is the time of entry uh, into the, the world of a Savior that, that, that can restore all things. And here we see Jesus as entering in through birth as a child. Birth as a child from a virgin. So whenever God said this to, to the people through the prophet Isaiah, they probably snickered and laughed and said, this is uh, mm -hmm, right. Uh, 
And yet, when God makes a promise, he is certain to fulfill it. Turn to Luke, or write first before you turn. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. This is a conversation that Mary is having with the angel, and the angel of the Lord says, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save the world. Mary, did you know? Yes, you absolutely knew. An angel told you, uh, and, uh, and you even wrote a song about it. Uh, Mary, it's awesome. It's called the Magnificat. Read it. Um, but the song is really awesome. Mary, did you know? It's really great. Uh, here's what Mary's response is back to the angel. How will this be? How will this be? I am still a virgin. I can't have a child. I can't give birth. I'm still a virgin. And yet, and yet God made it so by the power of the Spirit with the intention, intentional focus that, that God made that promise all the way back in Isaiah. And whenever it came to fruition, we're not to be surprised, we're not to be shocked, we're not to, we're not to, to wonder how is it so. We're to say praise be to God, a God who makes promises and fulfills them. This is unique in so many of our lives to have promises that are actually kept but God is that God that will do that again and again and again. We're going to turn back to Isaiah. Isaiah for our third, chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And we hear about this, this uh, oh, I love, I hear the pages of the Bible, the word of the Lord God Almighty turning amongst our people. Love it. And then I also see some digital fingers uh, reading the Bible. That's fantastic as well. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The word of God comes and points to this child that is to be born, this Messiah, and it says this, For to us a child is born, to us, all of us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's some dissonance there if we actually rest with it for a second. If we hear from the prophet Isaiah, the word of God, and we hear that we have a child, a, 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 a child, even yet a baby, and, and we give some, some, some names to this child, government on his shoulders. Oh, maybe this is going to be like, like, a, like a king or a president. Um, a wonderful counselor, wise, uh, we could point to Solomon and say, oh, here's this one uh, that, 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 that is like that. But, but if we were to, to sit and actually rest in, in how odd this uh, prophetic word from the Lord is, we would see that there's a child to be born, and he is mighty God, everlasting Father. Child, born, mighty God, everlasting Father. When, when when the word of God came to Isaiah for the people, that would have been, whoa, crazy that a child could have that authority, the name of God, and would have everlasting power and authority. And, and we see that it is so. In Luke chapter 1, uh, we hear about this, uh, this account from God. So you can write Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and we're going to 
continues. So this is still the conversation with Mary and the angel. And after Mary says, I'm, I'm, I'm a virgin, how is this so? The angel answers. And so there's fulfillment here twice over in just a couple of verses. And, the, and here's what the word says. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and he will be called Son of God. This child that is born of a virgin, that is born of Mary, is God, Son of God, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, child born. These two things can be reconciled, are reconciled, when we see that the Bible is not two, uh, two, two divergent and warring uh, texts, but it's one whole text that the Word of God was spoken to the people and pointed to uh, Jesus, and it was not a surprise, but it should be expected because God always fulfills, God always satisfies His promises. We have more detail. We have more detail about this, this birth of Jesus, this Messiah. It comes to us in Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It's, it's a minor prophet in the Old Testament as we continue uh, on hearing about this Messiah. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And the word of God comes and says, Marshal your troops of city. Uh, of true, uh, marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid upon us. They will strike Israel ruler on the cheek with a rod. But, but we are, we are not defeated. We are not overwhelmed. There is more to come because, listen to this, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from times of old. Out of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is this, 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 this small city, the city that, that, that is without favor, the city that's without significance. It's not as though, it's not as though the word of God came and said that, that hey, you, out of, out of Jerusalem, there will come. No, out of Bethlehem, this small town, this small city. But, but, but you, you know how this, how this maps out, how God fulfills this promise. He fulfills it in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We hear it multiple times in the gospel, but, but here in Matthew chapter 2, Verse 1, we, we see that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is this king that was born? See, Jesus was born. Jesus' folks were from Nazareth, but God orchestrated it in such detail that, that even the location, the where on all of the earth, the where for the Messiah mattered. That it would be in Bethlehem. It was promised in Micah and fulfilled in Matthew. Fulfilled in Jesus in Bethlehem. A child was to be born. The last, not the last uh, there are, but the last that I'm going to point to uh, of these references comes to us from Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. We hear about who this is, this Jesus, what he is to do. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king, that is Jesus, comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. That points to us for Palm Sunday. But, but here it says more and it identifies who Jesus is and what he's doing. I will take away from the, char the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. And Jesus will proclaim peace to the nations. And his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus establishing peace across 
the earth all over the world. And Jesus is still working that out through you and, for me, and through me, working for peace throughout the earth. And Jesus will ultimately work that out through the second coming so that all the earth will know peace through Jesus. We have that fulfilled pointed to us in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, verses 13 and 14. Here the, by the way, uh, all of you like, like Luke 2 fans, back-to-back weeks, Luke 2, um, loving it? Good. All right, so uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, shepherds and angels, and they just hear that there will be a child born in a manger, and then the angels are joined. The angel of the Lord is joined with a great company. Here's what it says. A great company of heavenly hosts suddenly appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Not, not, not in Jerusalem, not in Israel, on earth, peace to the men on whom God is favoring through the act of offering this Messiah. What a gift it is to know that God spoke of earth-wide peace in Zechariah, and we know that it is fulfilled in the coming of Christ, that God offers a reconciliation and peace for you and for me through his saving grace in ways that are beyond comprehension. We miss this, brothers and sisters. We miss an opportunity to see how faithful God is whenever we disconnect the prophetic word of God from the Christmas story. Christmas is not an accident. Jesus coming into this world is not an occasion to be surprised. Jesus coming into this world brings us great joy because we see that it is being fulfilled, that that all things that God promises will be cared for. What great comfort that is for us, for you and for me, for us to see that, 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 that all that God promises will come to completion, that all that God promises is being fulfilled because we see that God always lives up to what he promises. A few years ago, uh, whenever I was preparing to plant a church covenant in, in uh, this Creekside community, I was looking for wisdom. Uh, 2011, spring 2011, Lauren and I moved here in June of 2011, but I went and met with some other planting pastors that had been successful uh, across the East Texas area. I went and talked with a buddy, Jeff Olive, and, uh, and Jeff uh, had planted a church in Tyler named Dayspring, and uh, had uh, been faithful and done uh, a miraculous work there by the grace of God. And so I asked him, I said, what is, what is the key? What is the key? Give me the key. I need that one thing, that one thing that's going to help me to not fail miserably, fall on my face, and like uh, wash out of ministry because I'm depressed, because, uh, because I, I was disobedient in some way. And so, uh, by the way, that's the story of a lot of planters, and uh, praise God that, that that has not been our story. So I asked him for that one key, and here's what what he said. Jeff Olive told me this. He said, uh, under promise and over deliver. Under promise and over deliver. He said, you will have the tendency to over promise and under deliver. Don't do it. 
Don't do it because when you make promises that you can't keep, you lose integrity, you lose capacity to cast vision, you lose the, you lo- you lose the ability to be trustworthy. There's no way that you can do that. If you, if you start over-promising and under-delivering, you will fail, which is hard for me. I like to promise big things. I really do. Someone asked me earlier today, one of the servant leaders in the church, hey, how many do we need to expect on Christmas Eve? Uh, we need to be prepared. Uh, Pastor Jason, how many should we expect? And in my heart of hearts, I wanted to say 3,000. There will be 3,000. They will walk from H-E-B. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. Uh, it's hard because you want, like, especially uh, as a vision caster, as someone that is speaking into something that does not yet exist, how do you under-promise and over-deliver? Well, maybe we should start with, with the representation of the good news of Jesus Christ that God promised and kept every promise. God made some guarantees. God made, made, made some descriptions that were quite detailed, quite vivid of what this is going to look like. And God met every single one, satisfied them all. So, so if we could just start there as people of God living into that reality that we need to, to honor all the things that we promise, we certainly over the course of time will be disappointed because we fail and fall short of our promises. But we worship a God who never will. We worship a God who never fails, who honors every single promise that has been made from us, from him to us. What a glorious reality that is for us to hear in our, in our, in our minds uh, and in our spirits that John 14 text where Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he knows that he's going to journey through the cross, through the resurrection, to the ascension. And that as he does, he knows his disciples are going to feel empty and lost and alone. And they're going to feel like they're without their Savior as we might feel sometimes. And yet in that space, Jesus comes to them and says, and says I'm not leaving you abandoned. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And not only that, I'm going to prepare a place place for you. I have a house. It's my father's house and it has so many rooms. It has rooms for you and for you and for you and for me. And it has a room for all of us. And I'm going to prepare those rooms for everybody. And when I do, I'm going to come back for you and I'm going to bring you to me. And all of us are going to dwell eternally together. That's the promise that we have in Jesus. And if we hear that in John, we can reflect on the fact that the prophets foretold Jesus. Those promises were true. And that promise is true as well. And so we are able to hear it and have satisfaction in knowing that God never fails. His word is a promise to us of his goodness and grace and mercy that will never fail. And there's one more promise I don't want us to grow weary in hearing. When we gather around a table of Holy Communion once a month in this, in this community and we, and we gather together, we say Christ has died, Christ is risen, and we say Christ will come again. We don't just say it, we believe it. It is the conviction of our hearts because God has spoken it and that word is trustworthy and true. He's, 
God spoke it three places in the scriptures. I want to point to them because I want you to have the same exercise pointing to that second coming of Christ that we just took and journeyed through with the other, others that pointed to Jesus' birth. And so we hear about the second coming of Christ. First in Daniel, Old Testament. Ooh, that's interesting, right? That God was pointing to the promise that we have, uh, that we have in Christ second coming before Christ even came the first time Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 the Lord has given him a vision of how this second coming will purge evil from the earth and then there's the conclusion of it this final victory that we hear about in verse 13 chapter 7 in my vision at night I Daniel looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Jesus will return and will come on clouds from heaven for you and for me. It's repeated, though. It's not there alone. It's also in the Gospel of Mark. So it's in the Old Testament. Now it's in the Gospel. It's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 26. And, and, and I want you to see how these three are woven together. Old Testament prophecy, Jesus speaking in, in Mark chapter 13, and then hearing it again in a prophetic word in Revelation. Mark 13, 26. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels to gather the elect from the four winds of the earth. There will be the time when Jesus returns and will come in the clouds from heaven. And gather us up. And then in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1 verse 7. We hear yet again this vision. Now God giving this vision to John. Of what this day will look like. He said look. He that is Jesus. Is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Not just, not just Israel's eye. Not just eyes of, of, of those that, that even came to Christ uh, already, but every eye, every eye on earth will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. They, they, they will be, they, they will be uh, uh, feeling lost and broken because none of us uh, have, have offered ourselves as fully to the one that will return as he so worthily deserves. Brothers and sisters, we can believe, we can trust in the second coming of Christ because we trust in Christmas. Because we see that at Christmas, all of these prophetic words of God, all these promises of God were kept and were satisfied. And so the truth of that witness inspires us to hold fast to the truth and witness of the gospel that Christ will return. And in his return, all things will be made new. Nothing will be left broken. Nothing will be left in pain or in trial or in tribulation, but all things will be restored through that second coming. I'm so thankful to God that he, that he cast this beautiful vision, this story that he shared with us of what he promised so that as Jesus comes, on Christmas morn, we know that we are not surprised. This is not new. It has been foretold. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, your, 
Your word is magnificent. Your word is trustworthy. Your word is, is beautiful, how it's woven together, uh, generation upon generation, uh, a testimony of your truth. And so we praise you for that word, and we ask, God, that you would pour out your spirit on us so that we would celebrate your goodness and grace. Lord, we, we, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to, to pour out your spirit upon us, to trust you more and more because you are worthy. We thank you, God. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Jesus' coming, that he is your son, and that he offers peace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.